Welcome to Real Decarbonization, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry will lead into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the CEO of Adamantine Energy. This series of mini pods accompanies my new book, Real Decarbonization, How Oil and Gas Companies Are Seizing the Low Carbon Future. And I have such a fun, optimistic, positive, engaging guest today, Moji Karimi. He's co-founder and CEO of Simvita. Moji has a bachelor's in drilling engineering from the Petroleum University of Technology in Iran and a master's in petroleum engineering from the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. Before founding Samvita with his sister in 2018, Moji was a business development manager at Biota Technology. He's also served at engineering roles at Weatherford and Tesco Corporation. You can learn more about Moji's biography in our show notes. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Moji Karimi. Moji Karimi, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Before we jump into your thoughts on my new book, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about Simvita and the three pillars that you are so enthusiastic about. Sure. Uh, so Simvita is biosolutions for energy transition. And fundamentally, we're bringing industrial biotechnology to heavy industries, to you know, oil and gas and mining, and helping companies decarbonize as well as reducing their overall environmental footprint. Uh, the three pillars that you mentioned are our design principles for these solutions and are based on sustainable extraction of natural resources, whether the natural resource is you know, hydrocarbons in a reservoir or minerals in a mine, and biotech has solutions to do that more sustainably. Second pillar is sustainable production of chemicals and fuels. And that's through biomanufacturing using basically microbes that could do a lot of chemical conversions, but with much less energy input. And then the third pillar is kind of bringing it all together is sustainable renewal of any kind of waste that's created in the extraction and production process back into other sources of value, such as renewable feedstocks. So, you know, CO2 is an example of a waste that we could use as a feedstock and turn that into other materials that could be feed back into the system. That's really interesting. One thing I really noticed from your work and just from you talking about the three pillars is this theme of sustainability. And I'm wondering if for you, sustainability means environmental only or if sustainability has a broader context. It does have a broader context. In our work, most of it starts from inspiration from nature for sustainable technology. And it's not just about carbon footprint, it's also about the overall environmental footprint. For example, when I was talking about using CO2 as a feeder stock, the material that we produce from that is vegetable oil. So that we're not limited to having to say, use corn and other sorts of biomass as a feeder stock. Even though that today those are viewed favorably compared to fossil fuels, but they have a huge environmental footprint, you know, land use, fertilizer use, transportation, all of that. So it's taking a step back and thinking broadly about the bottom line, both in terms of carbon and environmental footprint. And, you know, at the end of the day, sustainability is also a kind of a measure of time. You know, are we optimizing for the next five years, the next 50 years, the next 500 years? And that would also dictate different measures. 
Ooh, I really like that. I have not, I've thought about sustainability in the context of financially sustainable in addition to the, you know, carbon environmental parameters, but time that what's like, what's the trade-offs within time frame? That's super interesting. Well, for our audience's sake, this is the first time Moji and I have met, but Moji, you know, I wanted to have you on here because you gave this friendly critique, like both enthusiastic and, you know, full of critique of of my book. And I loved it because I love engaging with positive, smart people who think critically about things. But I'm, I'm curious, can you tell me where your enthusiasm for energy came from and why you picked up real decarbonization and decided to to write a review on LinkedIn? Well, thanks first off for being a good sport about it. I'm a big fan, both the latest book as well as the Game Changers playbook. When I read the book, really what I was hoping to see a lot more of was the focus on the how part, and that is a lot of technology. And understand the thesis was to kind of have this dialogue about the topic and the oil and gas transformation, but more coverage of technologies that would make that happen. So that was one of the areas. The other one was about, you know, I felt a lot of the concepts and and it could have been just like the sentiment of the executives that you've talked to. They kind of had this view of the future that this is something that's just going to happen to us. And this is what we're doing to be prepared. You know, and even there was a notion around future proofing. And fundamentally, I think, you know, future is what we create proactively. So, and this really comes down the rubber meets the road when we're talking about energy transition. There's companies that see this as a great opportunity. So they're thinking about how could we transform our company to be a leader in this space? And then there are others that are kind of saying this is going to happen, it's already happening. What can we do to survive? You know, and those are completely different mindsets. And that also trickles down into the strategies of the organization, you know, their ability to attract and retain talent and everything else that you know you've also discussed in the book. But yeah, those are the, the two overarching, I think, issues that you know I kind of wanted to tag and, and hope to see more of maybe in the future editions. Yeah, I took your critique to heart. And in fact, we had a discussion about it among um, the Adam and Teen team. And we agree that this framing of future proofing, it had a time, but that time is not right now because you're either somewhat flat footed to disruption or you are engaging as creators, I think is something of the spirit of what you're saying. And and whether companies engage in that sort of reactive and maybe even a reluctant space versus like, this is the opportunity of a generation. And this is the opportunity to transform the world, you know, by addressing some of the greatest challenges ahead. I, I actually love that framing. The next thing we've been thinking about a lot is our team, you know, as a result of your critique is what is our role in terms of addressing technology and technology solutions? Because one of the things I think we're really committed to at Adam and Teen, the way we work with companies is understanding that the, the solutions are really unique. They're unique to the opportunities and risks of each individual company and starting to get too prescriptive about even being bullish on certain technologies. Does that, does that keep us from engaging in a, you know, in a way that's really constructive and advancing things? Do we, do we forfeit the opportunity to participate? So I would love your, I would just love you to opine a little bit, Moji, on 
what would you like to see in the next book? What do you think would be really useful to to energy companies to understand about technology and and to understand about how how to participate more in in the how, as you said? Yeah, one thing that I could tag, I think that is so important is to really take a look inside and see what skill sets do we have already that could be repurposed and what infrastructure do we have already that could be repurposed. It's easy to say, well, let's go spend a bunch of money on solar and wind and all these other areas. But in the context of oil and gas, those are not traditionally the strong suits. Or like, you know, we have a lot of geologists and petroleum engineers and, you know, petrochemicals, and we still need to address all of that. And there are opportunities to decarbonize those, to reinvent, you know, the industry in a way that it still continues to provide the end products, but in a way that is aligned with a you know net zero economy, bioeconomy, sustainable future. And there's not a lot of focus around that because that's more difficult. Like if you think about scope one emissions, for example, it's really stubborn, really difficult to do something about scope one emissions because you actually have to change how you do things, you know? So you will see companies focusing more on doing the same thing, but you know, supplying renewable power instead of not, you know? So I think there's a, a pool of technological solutions that the industry is set up to really leverage, you know, including CCUS that we could talk a lot more about. And so I would love to see that framework kind of expanded maybe in the next in the next copy. I love that. In fact, we're aligned with where you're going because at, right now at Adam and Tina, we're thinking a lot about what we're calling oil and gas adjacent technologies. And I think this is in the same spirit of your encouragement for companies to look within. So geothermal, renewable nat- natural gas, biofuels, like what are the way hydrogen, what, what are the ways that companies can use their engineering and geology expertise and their ability to build big things as well, to move maybe net zero liquids and gases and repurpose many of the existing infrastructure. So I, I really agree and like that. I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts on what I got right in the book and why it matters? I, I'm curious if some of the things, you know, may, maybe you have a different take on, on on why these things matter. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things they got right, absolutely. And I think the one that it's so important is the importance of having the buy-in from the top when it comes to setting the strategy for the company, for energy transition, and for every employee to really feel the genuine interest, you know, from the CEO, starting from the CEO and the board as well, and then kind of setting those strategies that is going to enable employees to be a part of that transformation, which is why, you know, I think you're engaging with a lot of the executives to expand on on kind of what different players in the industry are doing. And I think the other part of that is, you know, this specific focus that you've had also in your previous work on millennials, uh, because millennials are thought of as like what we know of millennials, but we also have to remember the same millennials now have kind of about 15 years of experience. So they're starting to come up in the ranks, taking more of a, you know, director type VP positions and being on the table when it comes to decision-making for energy transition. And that is going to grow from here in the next kind of 10 to 15 years. So for the current generation that is already in the C-suite to build that bridge and really work together 
is something that I felt in your work, you've always emphasized that. And I think that is really important to really get right when it comes to energy transition. Oh, I'm so glad you brought up millennials. And now we're also getting obsessed with Gen Z. <laughs> and you know, millennials plus Gen Z is just this force to be reckoned with in raw numbers and also just in the the differences. You know, these generations are so different. So Moji, let's talk a little bit about, about you as this kind of leader. But Samvita, you have some just really amazing work. You all have partnered with United Airlines, Oxy Low Carbon Ventures, National Renewable Energy Lab. Talk a little bit about, because we encourage companies to be partners with startups and with innovative firms, what do you look for in partners and how can our oil and gas leaders be curating the right characteristics that they become an ideal partner to startups like yours? Yeah. So, I mean, this has been a lot of learnings for us and for me personally across the past, I would say, five years. And I do have a specific, actually, kind of a metrics that that we, we try to look for. One of those is companies and organizations that do have a specific thesis about the future. You know, for example, like you said, they they are wanting to really invest in oil and gas adjacent technologies, for example, right? And and they have looked into well, what would that look like for natural gas? So let's say when someone's talking to them about renewable natural gas, they don't have to do a lot of work justifying like the topic, right? So they they already built in a puzzle and they're looking for the pieces. So I found that is really set us up for better partnership when we don't have to you know, justify the, the topic. They already have that thesis and looking for the solution. And the, the second part of that is that not only that, but they're also really proactive about it. So they are really wanting to make this happen as opposed to historically, you know, operators in oil and gas, for example, sometimes they're used to being pitched at, like left and right, all these things. And you know, for energy transition, we don't want to be the company that is like pitching left and right and just kind of a shotgun approach as opposed to really focusing on that you know top three to five percent of companies who are already interested in what we're offering and then the last part is you know like working with organizations and companies that are really ambitious you know and and they have really translated that energy into their people into when we work with them we want to get energy from them and and excited about the future that we could create together and and making them look good and in the process they help us to scale up our technology and it's good for the both of us and for the world and that's also necessary because any project at this kind of a new technology scale it's going to go inevitably through a lot of ups and downs and failures and pivots and so if people are not committed if they're not excited about it if they don't have the same mission the same proactive ambitiousness, it's really going to be hard to get something done into the finish line. So those are just some of the things that we we hope to kind of like pick up along the way as we explore partnerships. Yeah, I think you just wrote a chapter right there, Moji, for the next book, this idea of what makes a good partner. You have such a coherent set of criteria 
that are really appealing, I think. I mean, those are the companies I want to work with too. I love this idea that they have a clear thesis about the future. It's such a a clarifying framework. They're proactive, they're ambitious. You can get energy from their enthusiasm. I love that. And I feel like you you in some ways answered this question, but I want to give you a chance to answer it explicitly. You started Samvita in 2018 with your sister, so you've now made it through a pandemic and and you have perhaps the toughest years behind you. What have you learned and what do you think are your core qualities of your leadership style? Yeah, I mean, it's been a really interesting journey from when uh, Tara and I started to where now we're starting to get to around 100 team members and interesting to watch kind of as different layers and, and team get built up. I think, I don't know if, if you call it like a style, but what I like to kind of add is just to make work fun, you know, for people, even from the hiring process to when they're here, so that, you know, it's an environment that people want to be in, you know, that they don't see it just like a, this is work, you know, and then I'll finish work and then I'll go home. So any opportunity to make this a fun journey for everybody that we can look back on and have good memories. And then more specifically for me, most of what I try to do is just to find people that are smarter than me, better than me in that thing that they do. And as part of that, also continuously thinking about what is it that now I could move the needle and going in that direction. And that also forces me to go through this journey that I'm on, you know, from starting as an engineer to applications, to kind of product line, to then more of a business development, to and messaging and kind of what I do now. So I guess a combination of those is, you know, an environment that attracts A players and then just kind of letting them what they do best. Mm, Really interesting. Last question for you, Moji. What are you most optimistic about on this journey that we're all on together? So, I mean, there's a theme, if you've noticed, it's like I'm really obsessed about the future So I am optimistic about the future and about creating the future. And as part of that, you know, the starting point is to having scenarios and like what could the future look like? You know, for example, a a big thing in our company is this redefinition of heavy industries. You know, right now we have oil and gas companies and then we have mining companies. But in reality, these are all just natural resource companies because Mm -hmm. they have a relationship with nature where they get their resources. And in the future, you know, everyone wants to think about what would BP look like in 2050 and Shell. But I like to think about what would the next generation of energy company would look like in 2050 that are really a natural resource company that have a regenerative relationship with nature that could provide the same services, but in a way that is really in tune and sustainable. So like thinking about that just gives me energy, gives our team energy. And I'm optimistic because there is and not just the talent that we have in, say, oil and gas, but a lot of, you know, at least in our work from biosolutions, from biotechnology, a lot of advancements in the cost of DNA sequencing dropping, CRISPR becoming available. Those things are prime not to really impact energy transition. So, yeah, a lot of excitement around that and optimism for the future. Well, Moji, in the same spirit that you engage in these topics as a leader, I have experienced working with you on this podcast as someone who is smarter and better than me and what you do. Thank you so much for your leadership. Thanks for offering so much 
to our audience. And thanks for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. My pleasure. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Moji Karimi for joining me. One thing I found really interesting was this idea of the qualities of a company that makes for a great partner for the industry. I find that very compelling and maybe a challenge to all of us to ensure that that we're bringing those qualities of a thesis about the future, proactively working toward it and being really ambitious and enthusiastic to that work. I'd like to know what you think. I hope you'll take a moment and rate and review our podcast. To learn more about my new book, please visit realdecarbonization.com. And for our work at Adamantine, check us out at energythinks.com. I'd like to thank Adon Rubio for making this podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health. <laughs>